Daniel chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked and there stood two others, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river. When he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you, go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. We find ourselves in this final section of Daniel. Daniel began the chapter with a description of the end times in verses 1 through 4. And now he'll focus on the duration of those end times. There are three different time periods that are specified. A period of 1,260 days in verses 5 through 10. And right away we begin to understand something. And I want you to pause and think about that number just for a moment. Because it's going to be 1,260 days that will constitute the duration of this time period. But it's also going to be the duration that will lead up to the destruction of the beast. And then it says 1,290 days in verse 11. And a period of 1,335 days in verses 12 through 13. In chapter 9, you'll remember that we looked at the prophecy of the 70 weeks. In the Hebrew language, that 7 is called a heptad. In other words, we use the word dozen to describe a 12. In the Hebrew, a heptad describes a seven. 
It was in part the answer to Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. So Israel's discipline or chastisement is going to come to an end. We learned that there was a series of sevens that were going to unfold to Daniel's people, leading to the return of the Jewish people to the land, the coming of the Messiah. In chapters 10 and 11, Daniel embarks on an extended fast, and he receives a number of fearful visions. In chapter 11, we saw a series of Christless conquerors with a special focus on Greek kings who play an important role in the unfolding of Jewish history and the persecution of the Jews by one particular Syrian king who would serve as a type and an example of a future persecutor, an antichrist figure. So in this chapter, the angel promises Daniel that in spite of Israel's suffering in verse 1, a prince named Michael who's going to ensure Israel's survival, and those who are written in the God's book or in the Lamb's book will persevere till the end and be delivered in verse 1. The angel sees a time of eternal separation where the righteous enter God's reward and the unrighteous enter into a permanent punishment in verse 2. There's a future resurrection. The righteous will shine like stars, it says in verse 3. The visions of Daniel will be sealed to the end of time in verses 4. And then again in verses 8 through 10. This end time scenario will have a definite beginning and a middle and an end. The final seven. The final heptad will be marked by key markers or historic or events that will, in fact, prophetic events that will take place in the future. There's going to be an, an emergence of an Antichrist figure, a signing of a covenant by the Antichrist to ensure the safety and the security of the people of Israel. There's going to be a rebuilding of the temple complex in Jerusalem. There's going to be a desecration of that temple. The future is certain. The plans are in place. And so we see in verse 5, the witness to the prophecy. Look what it says. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on the other river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Now Daniel identifies that in addition to this supernatural angelic being who's hovering literally over the surface of the gushing waters, two additional figures are brought into the story. One of the unidentified figures asks the question, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Now, the number two in verse five 
is important. The scripture reveals that this is the minimum number necessary to confirm the oath by this angelic being in the narrative. Paul uses the principle in his rebuke to the Corinthians where he says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, as he's bringing to bear the principle concerning those things which are certain. So the word wonders is a reference to the prophetic events that we've already described in Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 through 45. Remember, that was the prophecy concerning the willful king. It could include all of the wonders that are, are listed in the book, but almost certainly it has to bear in its context to that particular portion. So we're left with the impression that God has this divine calendar. He has a prophetic timetable where all of these things are going to unfold. All of these things are going to be fulfilled. So the book of Daniel has repeatedly used this phrase, behold, I will make known to you what shall be the latter end of the indignation. For it refers to an appointed time of the end, it says in Daniel chapter 8 verse 19. The end is yet to be the appointed time, chapter 11 verse 27. The book's theme, remember what I've repeatedly told you. The theme of this book is God is sovereign an eternal God understands and will make sure that everything that he has said will happen will in fact happen. He is sovereign over all people and places and events. You can find that out in Isaiah 46.10 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 23 through 28. And Daniel is a witness to what shall be the latter end of the indignation. That's chapter 8, verse 19. So remember what I've again repeatedly told you, that a witness must have at least these three characteristics. A witness has to have a knowledge of the facts. A witness has to have a reputation for honesty. A witness has to be willing to tell the truth. And so Daniel, at the very beginning, you'll remember, purpose to separate himself from sin, separate himself to God. Daniel is this person who wants so much to love and trust and believe and obey God and then be used by God so that the unfolding future is going to take place. And so, if you've learned anything at all, it isn't just simply the content of the book of Daniel that's important. It's the intent of the heart of Daniel. 
You may not know everything about everything, but each and every one of you in your heart can purpose in your heart to separate yourself from sin, to separate yourself to God. And so Daniel, you'll remember, resolved in his heart to know his Lord, love his Lord, fear his Lord, obey his Lord. And we must be able to recognize and receive God's discipline and direction for our lives. We have to be willing to walk by faith and not by sight. We have to remain mindful That God is the sovereign God. He is in control over all the events that will unfold right before our eyes. We have to be resolved to walk in humility and integrity. And so, for those of you who are part of a small group or participate in a small group, One of the things I want you to ask in your small group this week is, what would you rather have? A complete understanding of the book of Daniel? Or would you rather have the heart of Daniel? The character of Daniel? The resolution of Daniel? But now we peek into the prophecy The duration of the prophecy. Look what it says in verse 7. Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river. Remember, we've already identified who is this person. It's a supernatural being who's communicating the revelation. When he held up his right hand and then his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time. Time. Half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. In the passage, who are the holy people? The word holy, remember, means separated, set aside. Almost certainly it must, in part at least, be a reference to Daniel's people. It must be a reference to the Jewish people. It must be a reference to the people who have been set aside for God in the future. And it says, and this has been completely shattered. These things will be finished. So the text includes several elements. The supernatural being, whether it's an angel or whether it's a pre-incarnate statement by Jesus This being makes an oath, establishes a covenant concerning the duration of the time. The angel swears by the being who lives forever. This is a reference to the eternal God. And again, repeatedly, the revelation of God is Deuteronomy 33, 27. He is the eternal God, the self-existent God. Psalm 90, verse 2, Isaiah 44, 6. There's no God before him. There's no God after him. He is the self-existent, eternal God. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. The list goes on and on and on. There is a God. And for the person who goes, I can't be sure. You must be sure. There's an eternal God. 
And the being says, it shall be for a time. Times. Half a time. Some scholars have argued that the expression times can sometimes mean more than two. It can certainly mean two, but it can mean more than two. The problem with adding more time means the oath becomes unintelligible, unknowable, and certainly not meaningful. That's no answer at all. If it means an indefinite period of time that the Lord shortens by his mercy, that doesn't provide any help to Daniel, and it doesn't provide any help to us who are trying to read this book and understand it. So what must it mean? We're given further clues. It's a time when the power of the holy people have become completely shattered. This is the testimony. Israel is helpless. Here is the answer to the question in verse 6. How long? A one, two, and a half. Three and a half years of the final seven of verse 4 begins the end of the time. The little horn, the willful king, persecutes the saints. That's what we discovered in chapter 7, verse 25, and chapter 11, verses 36 through 39. It's again spoken of in Revelation chapter 12, verse 14. This is the same time span that's identified by John the Apostle in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 2, in verse 3, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 5. And then the testimony is, all these things shall be finished. What things? The return of the people to Israel. The coming prince. God's judgment on the future. The unfolding promises taking place to the Jewish people. The end of Gentile supremacy. The beginning of the rock that comes from heaven and destroys the Gentile powers. The sealing of the prophecy is now given in verses 8 through 10. Look what it says. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. I've been in our study in the book of Daniel for many, many months. It took us a whole month to get through chapter 9. It took another month to get through chapter 11. Almost every week in our study of Daniel, someone has come to me and said, either, I don't understand. Or they've said, you don't understand. Welcome to the wonderful world of prophecy. I take great comfort that there are elements of this vision that left Daniel puzzled. In other words, 
according to the Bible, there might only be a handful of people on the planet Earth who have ever lived since the beginning of time and then will one day come the last being at the consummate end of time. And if we were to look at the smartest of the smartest people who have ever lived, people like Joseph, people like Daniel, if Daniel doesn't understand, then you should take great comfort that Daniel is left puzzled by what he just heard. Now remember what I've spoken to you, which was spoken to me. My pastor would repeatedly say to me, do not give up what you know for what you don't know. What do we know for sure? God is sovereign. God is in control. The Jews are going to return to their land. Guess what? The Messiah is going to come. Jesus has come. He's lived. He's died. He's risen from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. The repeated testimony of the New Testament is that he's going to come back. We're left with the impression that there are elements in the vision that will not be completely clear or that will not be completely understood until the events themselves take place. And when the events themselves take place, the people who are there, and I'm hoping it's none of you, will go, I get it. The expression sealed translates the Hebrew word shatam. It is a word that means to affix or to attach a seal. And so the idea is to authenticate or to ensure the integrity of the contents of that which is sealed. In our culture and society, when you're making legal transactions, sometimes you have to employ a notary public. A notary public functions in a similar fashion in our world to ensure the integrity, the authenticity of the signature that's being witnessed. In the ancient world, they would use a seal or a wax stamp with the impression of the seal. The implication is that the document carried the authority or the weight of the person who provided the seal. And again, it would seem that here Daniel's seal is either a literal seal or a symbolic seal. In what sense? In the sense that the content carries the authority of the person who provides the seal and it's not subject to being altered. In the book of Revelation, there's another seal that is presented called the scroll of the seal of judgment and it is broken, indicating that the time of the fulfillment is at hand in Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And so apparently the angel's reply seems to contain at least three elements that I want to bring to your attention. The first element is the issue of why in verse 9. He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Why? Daniel's the response is, seal it. Why? 
Pause for a minute. Have you ever had a child say to you, why? And you said, because I said so. (laughs) Now, because I said so is really not an answer, is it? But I want to bring something to your attention right at this very moment. Daniel will ask no further questions. There are no further questions. The answers or the words are sealed up. The Lord has placed his seal on the book. Now that becomes another important point of the passage. Because one of two things is true. Is this Daniel's seal or is this the seal of God? Is this the Lord's seal? And if it's the Lord's seal, then it's not only certain, but it must be true. Now again, here's part of what you need to know right at this very moment. Let the critics deny prophecy. Let the skeptic and the godless scholars weigh in and pile high all the reasons why this book of Daniel is suspect, is unknowable, is untranslatable, is disconnected. The skeptic and the godless scholars will pile high all the reasons why Daniel's vision of the end can't possibly be true. But their case is hopeless. The eternal, mighty, self-existent God has put his seal on the vision and its contents. I want you to pause and think about everything that I've told you thus far. According to the Bible and according to Daniel, Daniel's people are going to return to the land. They did return to the land. According to the Bible and this vision, a series of kingdoms, the Babylonian kingdom, the Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, and the Roman kingdom are going to unfold in human history. And it happened exactly as the Bible says. Jesus comes. Jesus lives. Jesus is cut off after three and a half years of ministry. He is brutally murdered. He rises from the dead. He ascends into heaven. Before he goes, he makes the promise of his return. What does all of this mean? It must mean in part that Daniel is given permission to not fear the future. And you know what that means? You're shaking your head because it means you don't have to fear the future either. But some of you are terrified. You're terrified about how it's all going to end. You may not think specifically at this point about Daniel's prophecy, but you might be thinking about your life. You might be thinking about your marriage. You might be thinking about your future. You're wondering how it's all going to unfold and how it's all going to end. The Bible says we're given, if, if God in his grace and his mercy grants it, 
three score and 10. That's 20 and 20 and 20. That's 60, 10. That's 70, maybe 10 more by reason of strength. That means I have one heptad left. Maybe. Maybe not. None of us are guaranteed even tomorrow. But we can be secure about the future. The future really is in God's hands. The time is set. The truth is sealed. The triumph is certain. And look what the angel says. Many shall be purified, made white, refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. The why of verse 9 leads to the what of verse 10. This is the second part. This is the second element. The angel declares what must happen. The critic, the skeptic, the unbeliever, the make-believer will find no comfort in the angel's words. The false explanations and the foolish interpretations of the unbelieving theologian will simply divide the wise from the foolish, from the understanding to those who lack understanding. It reminds me of the parables that are given in the New Testament where Jesus tells a story and the purpose of the story is to reveal to people who want to know the truth but conceal the truth from those who aren't interested in the truth. The stained will remain stained, but some will be purified. Some will be refined. Who are the wicked? Those who embrace Satan's perspective on the future. Now, I want you to pause here for just a minute because the wicked are those who persist in their unbelief. The word wicked here translates a Hebrew word lawless. It's used three times in this single verse. Read it again. But the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. This verse and this vision and this prophecy seems to serve as a strainer, dividing the righteous from the unrighteous, the pure from the impure, the wicked and the righteous. And so here we understand something. It says, none of the wicked shall understand. In what sense? They're going to remain blind. In what sense? Blind to the promise of God. Blind to the plan of God. Blind to the purposes of God. What is the plan? What is the purpose? Ultimately, it comes down to what you already know. 
Why is God sending the Messiah? It's so that you could experience forgiveness of sin and hope and reconciliation with God. Why is all of this happening? Because something has gone terribly wrong. God has sent his son to be the cleansing agent of the problem of sin in the human heart. They will remain blind to the very end. In what sense? The boastings of the Antichrist and the division of the peoples and the rebellion will continue because there are going to be people who remain blind to the very end. You know who they are. The people who've said, I don't get it. What do you mean? You keep talking about Jesus and you keep talking about sin and salvation and the Bible and the future. And you say to them as lovingly as you can, how can you not understand that something has gone terribly wrong in the world and that Jesus provides the solution? The refiner's fire will be no benefit to the wicked. It isn't that the wicked can't believe. They won't believe. The wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. Why? They are lawless. Why? Because they want to do what they want to do. They don't want to do what God wants to do. The refiner's fire has no benefit. They will reject the truth of God's word. They will reject what the Bible says about Jesus. They will reject what the Bible says about their sin. They will reject what the Bible says when it asks, when it begs, when it pleads with them to turn from their sins. And to turn to the Savior. This isn't an issue of the mind. It's an issue of the heart. The wicked do not want to abandon their wickedness. And the wicked make a deliberate choice. To reject what the Bible says about what it means to be human, what it means to be a male or a female, what, what it means when the Bible talks about marriage, what it means when the Bible talks about family, what it means what the Bible talks about honoring your mom and your dad. The wicked will scorn the book of Daniel. They did so in the past, they'll do so in the future, and even when the prophecies are fulfilled right before their eyes, the wicked will rush to their doom. But the wise will understand. They'll know what to do. The wise will understand when they see 
the world unfold, when they see the rise of this antichrist figure, when they see the prophecies of Daniel unfolding and then the rise of these nations and the fall of these nations and the judgment on the planet earth, they'll understand when the antichrist makes his sinister appearance, they'll know what to do when the beast enters this new temple and places his image in the temple and then calls on the world to worship him as God, then there's going to be people who go, did you, did you see Gino Geraci on YouTube? Did you see what he said? Did you see how the prophecies in Daniel are coming True, and look at the blessings of the prophecy. Look what it says in verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Remember what I've already told you. There's a statement of why in verse 9. What in verse 10. And now, the question is going to be answered of when in verses 11 and 12. There are three time designations, two here, one elsewhere. There's this initial period of 1,290 days. Now you'll remember in the Jewish world and in the ancient world, the Jews along with the Egyptians, along with the Babylonians, along with the Persians, they used what's called a lunar calendar. And so calendars were set according to the phases of the moon. There's an initial period of 1,260 days. That is one year, two years three years, and a half of a year. There's added to this one, 1,260 days. This is the length of the tribulation. To that is added one lunar month, 30 days, making 1,290 days. And then another 45 days is added, making a total of 1,335 days in verse 12. So what is the 1,260 days? It's the length of the time that the Antichrist reveals himself in this temple. Now there's this interesting coincidence of days. From the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, which we talked about in chapter 11. Remember I talked about this Greek king who desecrates the ancient temple. He desecrates the temple. He orders that, it, that a pig be sacrificed in the middle of it. He sets up an image. And by the way, its subsequent restoration by Judas Maccabeus was 1,290 days. From the death, from that date, to the death of Antiochus Epiphanes and the end of the persecution was 1,335 days. Now this fact serves as an illustration that that past fact gives us an indication of a future fact and a future fulfillment. There's a group of people called preterists. 
The word preter just simply means fulfilled. So when you hear the term preterist, it means a person who believes that all of the prophecies have been fulfilled. Partial preterist means you believe some of the prophecies have been, been fulfilled, but there are certain prophecies that remain to be fulfilled. And so in that sense, everyone is a partial preterist in part. In other words, we all believe that some of the prophecies have already happened in the Bible. Like when the Bible prophesies that the Messiah is going to be the offspring of David, that he's going to be born of a virgin, that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. When the Bible says that he is going to open blind eyes and open deaf ears, we know that Jesus has fulfilled those prophecies. When the Bible says, like Daniel chapter 9, that the, that the Messiah is going to be cut off, killed, we see that that has been fulfilled. The Lord Jesus spoke of yet a future event in Matthew 24, 15, when he said, therefore, when you see future, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet in this chapter that you are reading, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. The preterist claims that this was fulfilled with the destruction of the temple by Titus in 70 AD. Paul sees a future fulfillment in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. John sees a future fulfillment in Revelation chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. Has this event happened? No. It would appear that this is a future event. Now, again, I want you to think about it. In the prophetic clock, 1,290 days have been set aside. For what? For the final judgment. For what else? For the throwing of this beast, this Antichrist figure, into a permanent place of punishment. So it would appear at this, from this time period. Now some have suggested that the abomination of desolation will be set up in the temple in Jerusalem 30 days before the great tribulation begins. So some have used this, this explanation of 1,290 days to make reference to an event that will precede the revelation in the temple. That would explain 1,290 days. The final half of the tribulation is 1,260 days. So scholars have made two suggestions. The first suggestion is that there's a 30-day period before this abomination. Others have suggested that there's a 30-day period afterwards which would account and allow for God's judgment of the nations prior to the beginning of the millennial kingdom, which is spoken of in Matthew 25, 31. 
the scriptures hint that Jesus is going to set up his throne in the valley of Jehoshaphat near Gethsemane, that he will judge the nations, Matthew chapter 25. Remember, there's a time when the king judges the nations and they are judged in respect to what they did with the nation Israel and what they did with Israel's Messiah. And in verse 12, it says, Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Pause. Blessed is he who waits. Why is this person blessed? The judgment has passed. 1,335 days would include the 30 days to judge the nation, but also an additional 45 days for Christ to establish his millennial government during this period when Christ returns. There is this 45-day window when the sheep and the goats are separated, when those who have received the mark of the beast are destroyed, when the remnant Jews and the remnant Gentiles form the nucleus of what's going to constitute this brand new kingdom, this millennial kingdom. The word blessed in the text in verse 12 is plural. It isn't singular, it's blessings. Blesses, blessedness, or the, the way that you, we could translate it is multiple blessings to the one who waits. Now, this is the same plural that's used in Psalm 1-1 when it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. The blessings of the millennial kingdom, here's the idea. The blessings of the millennial kingdom will have been worth the wait. In what sense? You mean the destructions that you've already outlined? Yes. You mean the purifying that takes place? Yes. You mean the coming of Jesus? Yes. In the book of Revelation chapter 20, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, the dragon, that serpent of old who's the devil and Satan, is bound for a thousand years and he's cast into a bottomless pit. This is the first of six references to the length of the millennial kingdom in verse 3, 1,000 years. Verse 4, 1,000 years. Verse 5, 1,000 years. Verse 6, 1,000 years. Verse 7, 1,000 years. This is why it's called a millennial kingdom. Because the repeated testimony is, how long is this going to last? 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years. So the millennial comes with a personal appearance of Jesus. He removes everything that stumbles. The remnant are united to Christ. In the millennium, Jerusalem becomes the focal point, the center of God's administration on the earth. The earth has been dramatically changed by the judgments that have occurred in the book of Revelation during the tribulation period. The Bible then sees the world becoming a fruitful, fertile place reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. Men and animals no longer fear one another. War disappears. Death becomes the exception. Satan is shut up in the abuso or the abyss in Revelation chapter 20. The character of the kingdom is marked by righteousness. The Holy Spirit's poured out on all flesh, Joel 2.28. The millennial 
the, the millennium Jerusalem is rebuilt and a new temple. And the Lord will, according to the scriptures, be king over all the earth and the nations will worship him. It's interesting to me that this final, or at least near final end of the, the current generations are called millennials. You know what I've always hoped? That maybe God has saved the best for last. Kingdoms will come. Kingdoms will go. Look what it says in verse 13. But you go your way till the end. For you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. The vision that began in chapter 10 is finished. Ron Rhodes says, quote, we might paraphrase the angel's words this way. Go your way. Live in faith for the rest of your earthly life. Following death, your soul is going to enter a heavenly rest. At the appointed time, you're going to be physically resurrected with your soul rejoining an eternal resurrection body. You're going to stand and receive your inheritance. Isn't that great? Can you imagine Daniel goes, I can live with that. I can live for the rest of my life with that. Daniel will rest in death. He will arise in a resurrection. He will enjoy his inheritance. The millennial blessings with the Jewish Messiah. With his Messiah. With the Lord Jesus. Here's what Daniel is told. Kingdoms are going to come. Kingdoms are going to go. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to be cut off. The ages are going to unfold. The Gentile powers are going to unfold. The Antichrist will come. The Messiah will come again. Daniel will die, but he will rise and he will enter into his reward. And so will you. And so will you. Daniel's ministry has lasted in Babylon some 70 plus years. He's known for his faith and his courage. He's known for being wise and tactful and brave and modest and humble and persistent in faith and prayers three times a day. He opens his windows towards Jerusalem. He lives in captivity. But his heart never left Jerusalem. And he's promised that he will come back to life and live in the new Jerusalem which he loves. Daniel served in the court of kings. And it's his vision that provides the key to understanding all other visions in the Bible. In this book... Jesus is the stone that comes down from heaven and crushes the kingdoms of this earth. 
in this book, Jesus is the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In this book, Jesus is the prince who's going to come and be cut off. Daniel's promised rest and a resurrection. Daniel's promised that when the Messiah returns, Daniel will be there. And he'll participate in that kingdom. Do we know everything about everything? No. But do we know something about the most important thing? Yes. The big question that you have to ask is, are you going to participate in that resurrection? Have you, like Daniel, separated yourself from sin? Have you, like Daniel, believed the promises of God concerning Daniel's Messiah? Do you know that the Messiah said, I'm the resurrection and the life? And he that believes in me, even if he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Can we know everything about Daniel? No. Can we purpose in our heart to be like Daniel? Definitely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing book. Lord, we know that there's a future that the time and the dominion of the Gentiles will come to an end. There's going to come a time when God's people will be shattered. They will be left with no resources whatsoever other than to trust you. Lord, for many of us, we have so much. For others, we wonder if the things that we started with will be the things that we end with. But Lord, we pray that you'd prepare our hearts for the future. Lord, we pray that we can with confidence walk into the future knowing that you're in charge of that future. And Lord, we pray that like Daniel, we would be men and women who may be living in a time of captivity but our hearts, our hearts are fixed on Jerusalem. The Jerusalem that must be. The Jerusalem that will be. In Jesus' name, amen.